0: Well, good morning, everyone. My name's Ross Gilbert, and uh, excited that you're all here this morning. We've been going at this for just over four months here as a church. And, um, you know, if I could summarize what is the heart of New Life Fellowship, what is is it we're trying to be about, it would be essentially this. So we want to be a place where the, the new covenant message of grace and freedom and life in Jesus Christ is taught and proclaimed in a way that leads to us experiencing a community of grace with one another, that we get to know and experience Jesus better through one another. And so with that sort of as the, the backdrop of all this, we've been, been kind of selecting some, some topics, some themes each Sunday that try to cover those, the I would say, the major themes of the new covenant. What are the, the key foundational ideas that really the whole new covenant is built upon and we're just going to keep... Going deeper and deeper in as we move forward. So we've we've covered things such as um, the cross and understanding that the cross is a place where where Jesus died so that you and I could be forgiven one hundred percent. That every single one of our sins, past and future, have already been washed clean because of the immense, incredible power of Jesus Christ. But it was more than just Jesus dying on that cross. All who have received Jesus, all who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they were made one with Jesus on that cross. We were united through baptism into death, Paul says in Romans 6, meaning that you and I were crucified with Christ. And what's so glorious about that is the old self, the old you, is now dead and gone, and you are now someone new, a brand new creation that is righteous and holy in Jesus Christ. We've talked about the the all-consuming love of God. And that no matter where you go, no matter what you've done, he's right there. He's with you the whole time. And his love is what motivates him to invite us into a deeper walk with him, a deeper relationship with him. We've talked about the importance of prayer and of forgiving other people and and dealing with grief and and how we can trust Jesus in us. And we've we've talked about uh, how the flesh, our enemy, kind of lures us away from all that. And we've talked a little bit about that community of grace and how we could experience all this together as one. And so moving forward, my goal and my hope is that we're going to be able to kind of go through some of the, the, the books of the Bible, look at some of the lives of the characters, and, and kind of slow down as we move through things. And so be a little bit less topical and, and more going through a book. And so I'm really looking forward to, in a couple weeks, we're going to begin a study in the book of Ephesians. And we kind of chose that as the very first book because I think it, it's really a book to a church. And and it's a book that's perfect for us, that sort of as we kind of start out and begin to understand what it means to, to operate as a gathering, as a group of people together. But before we get into that book, I want to spend this morning looking at one of the, answering hopefully one of the questions that I get most often. After we start talking about this idea of, of Christ living in us and he wanting to live through us, the number one question that I get over and over again is, how? How do we do that? How does Jesus do all that? And and so that's really what we want to explore this morning. And so to do that, we're going to look at a, a very famous uh, passage, famous couple of verses in John 15. In fact, most people, in fact, they kind of quoted this verse just off the top of their head. But uh, it's up here on the screen. And so you can kind of read along in your heads with me. John 15, verses 4 and 5. Jesus speaking, he says to his followers, he says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's pray. Father, this this truth of what it means to abide in you and what it means for you to live through us, Father, that is such a, a difficult, abstract truth for us to understand. How does the God of the universe live and now live through someone like me, a a simple, finite, created being? Father, if there's ever been a time where we need your Holy Spirit to give us insight and revelation and understanding, this is the morning. And so we pray for your spirit to be the teacher, that you would help us to understand, not just in an intellectual way, but in a way that transforms how we live day in, day out. And we're excited about what you're going to do. In your name we pray, amen. Well, let's set the scene for this passage here. If uh, in most Bibles, if you have a heading on that Bible, somewhere, probably around in John chapter 13, it's going to have the heading, The Last Supper. This is the night of Jesus' arrest. This is the, the night where the disciples get together with Jesus, and they're going to celebrate a Passover meal, and they are uh, you know, sharing various things. Jesus is kind of wrapping up his three and a half years with his disciples. Jesus knows that he's mere hours away from being separated from his disciples, being arrested, and that these men are all going to scatter, and they're going to be terrified and anxious and worried about what's going to happen to them. But he also knows that he's mere hours away from ushering in a whole new covenant, a new way that God and man can now exist together, a, a making a way, a, a pathway where God can now reside in man. For the first time before the fall, that is now possible, that is now available from what's about to happen for a couple hours from now. So in many ways, this is like a deathbed conversation. This is not the time to talk about trivial matters, insignificant things. This is a time to talk about what really matters, It's really important. And so right before this passage we're about to look at, Jesus is talking to his disciples, his rather ordinary followers, and he's talking to them about how this Holy Spirit's going to come. And right now he says, the Holy Spirit is upon you, but he will be in you. And that's one of the marvelous changes of the new covenant, that in the old covenant, people like Moses and Daniel and David and Elijah and Elisha and all these great Old Testament saints, the Holy Spirit would come upon, but then would leave. But now Jesus says something radical, something new is going to happen. The Holy Spirit's going to take up residence inside of you. And that's such an incredible truth that he wants to now express to them. And so he, say, he drops that bombshell on them and he says, okay, let's get up and leave. And so they go for a walk. And they're walking through the garden. And Jesus, being the master teacher, he sees these vines and branches. He says, this is a perfect time, a perfect illustration now for me to share with them about what he wants them to do. And so I walk into the garden. He, he explains, just like the vine and the branches, just like the branch needs the vine, you need me. And so he's instructing them now to abide. For me growing up, that word abide just seems so mystical. It seems so ethereal and otherworldly. And, and it was so hard to sort of you know, narrow down. What does that mean? Tangibly, how? What does that? What does that look like? And so I had this this idea that it was sort of like, you know, Keanu Reeves in The Matrix, right? How many you've seen that movie? We won't judge you. It's okay if you've seen the second and third a little bit more, but the first one was good, right? So in that movie, right, Keanu Reeves, he he goes, he realizes he's lived his whole life in the Matrix, and there's a moment in there where everything begins to click, right? And you got that Keanu Reeves and that. I see it, right? That that real, you know, monotone voice, right? Where all of a sudden now he can see the code. He can see the matrix. And he sees it's not real. And he realizes what's going on. And so suddenly now, I know Kung Fu, right? It's just that simple. and And so I kind of figured that's what it was to abide. That if you abide in Jesus, that suddenly everything's going to click that suddenly you're going to see the spiritual amongst the physical and everything will make sense to me and I'll be this, you know, I'll know Kung Fu, right? I'll just, I'll figure it all out and I'll have this power and that's when I know love abiding. And so I strive for that and strive for that and then I just never seem to be able to measure up, never seem to be able to hit it. And so I just, I don't know. What's the key? How do I do it? And it just becomes so otherworldly. In my, my studies, this one one commentator was talking about this word of Biden, and he was recognized, it's almost this mystical idea, and he says, so it might be easier to think of it another way. In terms of you think about it in terms of who are the people you admire. And so you recognize these people, you see these people, and so the encouragement then is sort of model your life after so-and-so. If if you like your friend, if you like a, a family member, if you admire your pastor or someone at work, or or maybe it's some kind of a business titan, and you've read their their books and their philosophy on business, or maybe it's some autobiography or just a biography about a a, a Christian saint, a, 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 a D.L. Moody or a Hudson Taylor or Watchman Nee, and you're like, wow, these these people figured it out. And so we, we think abiding is now just simply imitating their behavior. We'll pray like they prayed. We'll read like they read. And we'll study like they studied. And they'll go off in the mission field like they did. And we'll mimic and imitate our life after that person. The problem is you're not that person. That God didn't create you to imitate and model your life after another. That wasn't the goal. And maybe the worst part of all that is we think its we'll make Jesus the model, we'll try to follow and live like Jesus lived. And that way I can live the Christian life. But the problem is it's not about behavior that we're trying to imitate. That's not the goal. That's not not the focus of all that. And, and let me illustrate to you why that breaks down, why that doesn't work. I want you to imagine that there's a group of people and they're cheering. And they're jumping up and down. They're screaming. They're high-fiving everyone. They're just, you know, just on cloud nine. They're so excited. And this guy walks up, and he sees all this. And he has no idea what's going on. But they're all smiling, and they, they start giving him high-fives. And, and so what does he do? Yay! He just starts cheering with them. And he has no idea what's going on. But they're high-fiving. He's high-fiving. They're smiling, and he's smiling. And all of a sudden, the crowd goes quiet. And he's like, OK. And everyone's quiet. And he's, what is going on here? But he's quiet. And all of a sudden, boom, the crowd erupts again. And he's jumping up and down, and he's all excited. And so he jumps in, and he joins, and, but he has no idea. All he's doing is he's mimicking what everyone else is doing. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, he sees this giant screen that everyone's watching. And sure enough, it's the Raptors. And they're winning game two. And so now he understands what's going on. Oh, I get it now. And so now he knows when to cheer and when to be quiet because he's watching the game. You see, that's sort of what the Christian life is. That when you're imitating behavior, you're just following the crowd. They're cheering, I'll cheer. They're quiet, I'll quiet. They boo, I boo. But we have no idea why we're doing it. But if you understand the source, if you understand the, the motivation or the cause behind it, now we got a chance. And so what ends up happening now is is the screen, the game, is sort of that source. And and for the Christian life, it's about the voice of God, how he leads us and motivates us and and leads us into the the behavior. In this case, it would be the cheering. And so the behavior isn't the issue. It's just the question of the behavior is a response. It's meaning my focus isn't what do I need to do? The focus is who am I trusting in? Who am I listening to? And so let's understand then this word abide, because I think that's going to kind of help us understand it. So the word abide here, it appears four times in these two verses. That alone should be a clue to us. This repetition that Jesus is saying to us. The Greek word for abide here is meno, and it, it literally just means to remain, to, uh, to dwell, to, to make your home in essentially. You know, you think about the word abode, right? My humble abode, we might talk about our, our homes. Well, abode is a derivation of the word abide. So it's that idea, it's a dwelling place, or, or the action of dwelling. So to, to really understand, I think, what Jesus is saying here, then I think we need to understand a little bit of the grammar. And I'm always a little bit hesitant to get into the study of the grammar because sometimes what happens is, and people think, "Wow, my I just can't ever understand the Bible because it's just so you know, I don't have the tools and the abilities to do that." And, and the simple reality is, about 95% of the time, the English translation is just what it is, and it's so obvious. But sometimes, sometimes there's a great benefit to trying to get into the study of the grammar because the grammar can reveal so much. So let me give you this illustration, right? We got this phrase we're going to put up here, uh, come inside and eat comma grandma, right? It's it's an invitation that someone's giving to grandma to come inside and eat. But notice how quickly, leaving the words as they are, but I change the grammar, I take a comma away, and now it's come inside and eat grandma, right? I mean, what is an invitation for that is, right? Right? Just this idea, of we're gonna come and eat her now, because simply by changing the grammar, we've changed the whole context and the meaning of it. So sometimes it's really beneficial to understand the grammar. So in, in John chapter 15 verse 4, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Now in the English language, we've got essentially three main tenses. We got past tense, we got present tense, we got future tense. And those are essentially the three main tenses that we have. But in the Greek, they got so much more. They got the present tense. They got the perfect tense. They got the future tense. They got the past perfect tense, and and on and on and on. They got so many more tenses, which allows them to be more specific. Well, there's the one tense that Jesus is using here is the aorist imperative. Now, that might sound a little scary to you, but simply this. Aorist tense is a one-time event. It's what they sometimes call a punctiliar event. It means that it happened in a moment in time, and it's fully completed. And it's often used in past tense, but it could be speaking about future tense. The point of the aorist tense is just that it's it's a moment. So for example, a a wedding is a moment. A, a wedding doesn't go on and on and on and on, right? It's just there's a day, hopefully in one day, and, and it's over in that day, and that's it. But the marriage, the marriage is ongoing. And so you would never talk about a marriage as an aorist event. You would talk about the wedding, though, as an aorist. It is a punctiliar event, a moment in time. And and then the imperative aspect of it is that it's a command. And so what we see here, Jesus is saying to them, he says, abide in me. It is a, a moment in time event. And it's a command he's saying. I'm commanding you to abide in me and I in you. What's he saying in all this? Really what, what this is, it's an invitation to salvation. It's an invitation that Jesus is giving to everyone. And he's saying, what you need to do is you need to be the one to choose me, to invite me to be your savior. And so hopefully each of us here have, have made that moment made that decision that somehow we recognize that Jesus, the son of God, he has come to redeem us, come to rescue us. He's come to make us whole, to make us pure, to make us brand new creations, and that this, this new creation that we can be as a result of what Jesus has done. And so we invite him into us in and in, in ask to be invited into him. We choose to make him our home, our dwelling place. And if we do that, Jesus says, then I will abide in you. And so what happens is we have this beautiful picture of becoming one. And so my question to you, is Jesus in you, or are you in Jesus? What's the answer? The answer is yes, right? You're in him, and he's in you. But I thought you were in him. Yes, and he's in you. And it goes round and round, and it's just we're one with him now. And that's the invitation that God's giving us. And so it's a, it's a one-time thing. You don't need to keep praying that prayer over and over and over again. I wish someone told me that when I was six years old because I prayed that prayer a good 100 times over and over again. But the reality is it's a one-time, permanent change where we go into him and he comes into us. And, and maybe there's someone here that's never made that prayer. Maybe there's someone here that's never actually chosen to make their home in Jesus and for Jesus to make their home in him. And so if that's you right now, I want to encourage you to right now, just sort of in your mind, you don't have to raise your hand or anything like that, but it's in your mind, just pray this simple prayer after me. Lord Jesus, would you come live in me? Would you wash me clean? Would you make me whole? And will you be my savior in my life? Amen. And that's it. It's as simple as that. You don't have to, you know, say so many Hail Marys, crawl across broken glass, give your house away, or anything like that. All you need to do is say, God, I want you to be my Savior. And if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, I want you to know there is a party going on in your honor in heaven. And so we would love to hear about that. Tell anybody here. uh, I would love to hear it myself. And then we can celebrate with you this new life, this new gift you'll have. Isn't that awesome? so abide in me and I in you. That was the first time abide shows up. The next three times it shows up, it's different now. And so I want you to see here in this passage, there are two kinds of abidings. The first one, the first time it shows up, it's an invitation to salvation, a one-time moment, a one-time event that has permanent results. But the other three times Jesus says this word abide, he's now using the present tense. So the present tense is something that is ongoing right now, right now, right now. That's how present tense works. So it's sort of like breathing. You breathe in, you breathe out. But it doesn't stop there. You got to breathe in, breathe out. But it doesn't stop there. And you keeps going on and on and on, right? If you only do it one time, that will be the end of you, right? So as breathing is present tense, so is this idea of abiding. It's meant to be something that is happening moment by moment. And so what we see here now is an understanding of a definition of what abiding is. Abiding is simply looking to Jesus to be our source of life in each moment. See, it's not some complex, mystical idea that can never be understood. Because what Jesus has done is he's, he's talking to these ordinary people, these fishermen and tax collectors and rather simple guys. And that's good news because we're rather simple folk as well. And so he's speaking to these ordinary disciples, talking to them about how they could abide, which is good news for these current ordinary disciples so that we can learn how to abide in him. And so it's merely looking to Jesus, trusting in him. And he gives us this illustration. So the illustration is, is telling us that it's something that we can know, that it's knowable. And he says, look at the branch, the branch and the vine. The branch by itself, it can do nothing. Just picture that in your mind, a branch lying on the ground. How much fruit will you expect to come off of that branch? Nothing. What's going to happen to that branch? It's going to wither up, and it's going to die. And so that's what he's saying. Just like apart from the vine, the branch can do nothing, Jesus is saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. Problem is, we don't believe that. Not really. I mean, we quote it. But what we really believe is that it's up to me. What we really believe is. What I need to pull off and what I need to do, and it's, it's my effort and my determination that's going to live the Christian life. But as Robin prayed this morning, you and I can't live the Christian life. There's only one person that can live the Christian life, and that's Jesus Christ himself. And so he's not asking for you and I to live the Christian life. What he's asking for, what he's inviting us for, is to allow Jesus to express and live his life through us. So think about the branch and the vine. What is the branch doing? The branch is connected to the vine. The branch is, is receiving life from the vine. So the sap, the life of the vine, can flow up through the vine into the branches and out through the branch, thereby bearing the fruit. In the same way, you and I, we are connected to Jesus. You're one with Jesus Christ. Can you believe? This is not just norm. Do you guys realize what we have here? We've got Christ in Norm. Amazing. They're one. Wherever Norm goes, Jesus goes. He's with him the whole time, and all Jesus is asking Norm is, Norm, will you trust me to express my life through you any way that I see fit so that this world can begin to experience my life? That's what he's after. That's what he's longing for us to see. So it's not about what we can do for God. It's what God's going to do through you and I. Because apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, the Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible. I love how, how Charles Spurgeon put it. He said it this way. He says it way more eloquent than ever I could. He says, without Jesus, you can talk any quantity. But without him, you can do nothing. The most eloquent discourse without him will all be a bottle of smoke. You shall lay your plans and arrange your machinery and start your schemes, but without the Lord, you will do nothing. Immeasurable cloudland of proposals and not a spot of solid doing large enough for a dove's foot to rest on. Such shall be the end of it all. What he's saying is this. It's not that you can't do things. You and I can do all kinds of things apart from Jesus. But how much is it worth? Add it all up. And it's wood, hay, and stubble. It's going to disappear. And so we don't want to invest in something that's just going to go up in smoke. Instead, we want to invest in something eternal. We want to invest in the life of Jesus Christ so that he can do something powerful through us. And when that happens, this incredible result takes place that really, I think, best is explained in this verse, this famous verse, Isaiah 40 verse 31. It's a tremendous verse. Typically, if you've seen any kind of Christian artwork with an eagle on it, chances are this verse will be on it somewhere, because it really, in many ways, describes the New Testament life, the New Covenant life. And he explains what happens to those who, who place their faith and their trust and their dependence upon God. Isaiah says this, the, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not get tired. They will walk. And not become weary. That that word translated "wait" in Hebrew it means to braid, to bind together. And what I find interesting is when they translated the Old Testament into Greek in the Septuagint, they actually used that word "meno" for the word "wait." And so, really, what we see here is this word "wait" in Isaiah forty verse thirty-one is the New Testament equivalent of a "by." And so abide, to dwell, has this idea of also to braid, to bind together. So let me illustrate what that means and the significance of that. Imagine in one hand here, I've got a piece of thread. How much weight do you think that single piece of thread can hold before it snaps? Probably not very much, a pound or two, and then it's gone. But in my other hand, now I have a quarter inch steel cable. And that quarter-inch, just a quarter-inch steel cable can hold almost three tons of weight before it snaps. Now, what happens now when I bind, when I braid that piece of thread to my steel cable? Well, that thread now adopts all of the properties, all of the characteristics, all of the strength that that steel cable holds thereby allowing that little piece of thread to now carry three tons of weight. Well, the same is true with Jesus, that you and I are to braid ourselves, bind ourselves to him, thereby adopting the characteristics, the qualities, the the power of Jesus in you so that Christ in you and I now can do all kinds of things because that's what he's after. And so now the wisdom of Christ is at my disposal. The, the strength and power of Jesus is at my disposal. The love and the kindness and the gentleness is at my disposal. And it isn't no longer about, well, you're, I'm not a gentle person or I'm not a, a smart person or I'm not a loving person. That's not what it's about. Christ in you is. And so we have a great verse like Philippians 2 and verse 13 where it says that God is in you. He's residing. He's abiding in you. What for? Both to will, to choose the action, to choose the course, but then also to do according to his pleasure. And so abiding is merely me looking to Jesus, recognizing Jesus is in me and with me, and that he is wanting to accomplish certain tasks through me. And when that happens, something magical takes place. I'm in in relationship with God, but now I'm experiencing communion with God. I see God present in my life, and I'm able to express love to God in a way that no, no kind of sacrifice, no kind of giving, no kind of serving could ever do, because that's not what he's interested in. He's not interested in what you give of yourself. What he's interested in, will you trust me? Will you rely upon me? Because every time you turn to me, every time you rely upon me, you're saying, I love you, Jesus. And we're able to express a love to God as we experience that relationship with him. But something even maybe more magical takes place. You're able to now love yourself. Because what happens is as you're communing with him, as you're talking with Jesus, not only are you talking to him, but he is talking to you. And he is now able to express this enormous love that he has for you. And you are able to receive that love. And that brings a peace. That brings a contentment. That brings a joy. The best way I could describe it, it's like exhaling a deep breath. And there's rest. But it doesn't end just with you. You're now able to love other people. You're living beyond yourself. Because what ends up happening is now you have a desire to invite other people to experience this grace of God. You, you desire other people to know and, and have this love and this peace and this joy. And so you're able to now to, to love them. Maybe share your faith with them. Be able to to introduce them to Jesus because they have not yet received Jesus as you have. And so there's all kinds of things you can do because it's Jesus in you. So it's it's not about you trying to manufacture this fruit. I want to make that really, really clear to us That, that the fruit is something that we bear and not produce. And there's a difference. You see, if it was you know abide in me and i in you and if you, as long as you're abiding in me you will produce much fruit then the pressure and the responsibility is on me and i now have to come up and manufacture that fruit the fruit being the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the gentleness and goodness and so forth but that's not my job because that fruit is the fruit of the spirit it's not the fruit of the christian it's not what i create it's what i just merely bear meaning the Holy Spirit creates it, he produces it through me. Again, think about the vine and the branches. The branch is connected to the vine, the sap is flowing through the branch and it comes out producing the fruit. The sap being the life of Jesus. It's the life of Jesus that produces it. I just get to bear it. I get to share it and experience with other people, but it's Jesus doing it through me. Again, that takes all the weight off of my shoulders and puts it where they belong on his shoulders. it be like that one little piece of thread saying, I've got the weight, and the steel cable saying, no, you don't. You don't need to. I've got it. Trust me. Depend upon me. So what does that look like then? How can I how can I illustrate that to you? Well, let me kind of take you into my head and that's a little bit of a dangerous territory for many I'm I'm sure but let me just sort of share with you what that means and what that looks like to to for me. Cuz really if I could summarize it it's simply this. It's walking and talking with Jesus. It's just living life with him day in day out. It doesn't have to be something super spiritual. It could be something really simple like changing diapers or washing dishes, or making the bed, or watching sports. It could be anything and everything. All Jesus wants to be involved and present in what's happening. So let me kind of illustrate to you with maybe a, a, a co- how the conversation works between me and God on maybe a typical morning for me, right? So I, I'm waking up, and, and I'm, I'm often a little bit late, and I got to get out there to get to work, and, and I, I kind of want to rush out the door. And then Jesus says, hold on. Don't leave just yet. Go go check in with your kids. Oh, but Jesus, I'm late. I got to go. No, no. It's OK. Kids are more important. OK, Jesus. So I go, hey, kids, are you guys ready for school? Did you get your lunches ready? You got this ready? You got that signed? OK, good. All right, God. I'm at the door now. Wait, wait. You got to say goodbye to everyone. Give them a hug. Give them a kiss. Oh, Lord, I'm late. It's OK. All right, Jesus. So I go back. Give everyone a hug. And often I give one like three hugs because they just keep going around in lines and stuff. And, and so you give them a hug, give them a kiss. I love you. Finally out the door. Now I'm driving. But I don't know if you've noticed, there's some construction going on here. So I got to take detour after detour. And then eventually you get to a point where there are no more detours. And so two lanes become one. And there's that guy that's just wanting to kind of sneak in there past everyone. And so my temptation is just sort of get close to that bumper. So he's got to get behind me, because I'm late. And Jesus says, it's okay, Let him in. But Lord, it's not fair. No, it has nothing to do with being fair. Just relax. It's not going to kill you. All right, Lord. So I slow down, let that person in. And we're driving along, and then I get to a red light, and I would have gotten through if I was ahead of that guy, Lord. Just point that one out. It's all right. And then the ion train comes. Oh Lord. That's a whole new issue now, right? Because it doesn't go one way, then it goes the other way. And you're just sitting there at this light. Lord, what's going on here? It's okay, Ross. Relax. You can't do anything about it. Just enjoy this time. Listen to the song. Listen to what they're talking about, the sports, whatever. Just, Just relax. Okay, Lord. Finally get into work. Now I got an appointment and someone shows up and they start expressing their issues and what they're struggling with. And I have often, I wonder what they, what they see. I'm inside, them. I'm deer with the headlights. Right? I'm just like, oh, what are we going to do here, Lord? And so now I'm talking to him. God, what's really happening? What's going on? Show me the issues. And so I'm having this conversation with Jesus. I've been having it all morning. As I'm up here speaking to you, I'm talking with Jesus. Lord, is this the illustration we use? Is, do you want to share this first? What's happening here, Lord? And I'm talking with him in order to talk with you. And that's abiding. It's not passivity. It's not something mystical. It's not reserved for the, the super saints out there. It's an invitation to you and I right now to just experience life with him, to recognize in this moment our present tense connection to him, so that Christ can be Christ through me, so that Jesus could live the Christian life through me in a way I can't ever do it right now, right now. You see, that's the thing. It's not about next week, next month, next year. It's just about right now, this moment. And because it's not about next month, next, next year, and so forth, all but this moment, God's not keeping score. He doesn't look back, Okay, the last five years, what's your average of abiding in me? Ah, It's about 220. Ah, That's not very good. That's a low batting average for anyone. And so we got to work on that, right? Watch out for that inside pitch. That's not what it's about. He's not keeping score. He's not keeping track. All that matters is this moment. Regardless, you didn't abide in me for the last 20 minutes, five days, five months, will you trust me in this moment? That's it. That's all you have to worry about. And then when next week comes, it's that moment. And when next month comes, it's that moment. It's just abiding, trusting, depending, walking, talking, listening, resting in Jesus right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are bound to you. We are braided in you and we get to make our home in you and you make our home in us. And Father, if there are people here who have not yet made that decision, would you prompt them by showing them your tremendous love towards them and they'd be willing to trust you and make the greatest choice of their life to abide one time in you forever. But then for all of us after that moment now, would we learn to trust you moment by moment by moment, to rest in your power and your strength, thereby experiencing and expressing your fruit, your joy, your peace, your kindness, your gentleness, your love towards other people. And in so doing, this world will see Christ in us, and therefore you'll be glorified. In your name we pray, amen.